guitar sound like four guitars. How do you do that? Bless the Lord. Let's turn to the scriptures, please. We're going to the same scripture we were at this morning, Luke chapter 24. 
And we'll use that as a basis of what we want to say this evening. A case for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke chapter 24, beginning to read at verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came onto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed about, behold, Two men stood by them in shining garments as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified And the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. We'll stop there. Keep your Bibles open. That's by a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that your son was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we were healed. Thank you, Father, for everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thank you that we're found tonight in this place, Lord, that such a crowd has come in and filled this house. We thank you for every head that's bowed in your presence and for every heart that's here. And as our faces differ, Lord, so do our needs. Lord, you know every one of us, the homes we have left behind, the thoughts that are in our minds. And even at this time, Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would take every distracting thought and even every opposing spirit. And Lord, may it come under the subjection of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, there's one here who's not saved. who has never come to the foot of the old rugged cross and surrendered their lives to thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and claimed him as their own Lord and personal Savior. Father, we pray tonight, or this night be over, before they leave this place, may they make their calling and election sure, calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. As this morning we looked at the case for the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as some say, our Lord Jesus swooned on the cross, or he fainted, or he went into some trance or meditation, that he was some kind of con artist, or he was great at deception. Maybe he went into a coma, he wasn't dead. And as they took his body down from the cross, it was either laid in a tomb, then secretly stolen away, Or else, as some have said, his body was swapped to another criminal or crook who had been led there and murdered. All manner of stories are going around. Did Jesus really die? We looked at it this morning. You can get it yourself and listen to it. The case is that our Lord Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross of Calvary. Not only were there, like of the centurion and others around him, 
who were able to have a conversation saying, truly this man was, that is in past tense, he no longer exists, his life has become extinct, his breath has been given out and he has expired. Not only has he died as dead as dead could be, they said he was the Son of God in the sense that he no longer existed. But others around also talked about that. We looked at that this morning, how Christ was dead. We looked at how the Roman soldiers came and break the legs of one of the thieves that were crucified alongside of him. When they break his legs, they go and break the others and they come to Jesus finding that he was dead already. But just to make sure, they pierce his side with a spear. We give you a medical report on the piercing of the side of our Lord Jesus Christ with the spear, how it went up through the stomach, the abdomen, into the heart, through the heart, tearing apart the arteries and the veins and the pulmonary glands, going right into the very lungs itself. That this was a weapon of warfare that was used on our Lord Jesus Christ. And how when the spear was extracted from his body, blood and the water poured out. You can get that, as I said again, if you want to get this morning's message or download it. But tonight we want to look at the case for the resurrection. You see, if Jesus didn't die, we wouldn't need a resurrection. And if Jesus didn't die, all that we would need at the most is a resuscitation. The word resurrection in Chambers' dictionary is defined as arising from the dead. Now let me say it again that you'll get it. The word resurrection means arising from the dead. But also it means a resuscitation. In other words, if someone's passed out, you resuscitate them. If someone is in a coma, you keep them alive to resuscitate them. You bring them around from their stupor. But when someone is dead, they must be resurrected. It's arising from the dead. So we look tonight, did our Lord Jesus Christ, did he rise from the dead? Was he dead? The answer was yes. Did he rise from the dead or was this tomfoolery and trickery? Was our Lord Jesus Christ, was he a master of great deception? Or did he truly rise from the dead? What saith the scriptures and what is the case for believing in the resurrection? Let us try to establish something once and for all. Even in our reading tonight in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, as we see the disciples go to the graveside, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. And they entered in in verse 3 and found not the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when it says they found not his body, the word is soma, that by which they recognized Jesus. That's the word. In other words, I know you when I see you. You know me when you see me. You know my form, my shape, my face. You know the color of my hair. Well, some of us, we know the color of our hairs, but some of us, we we don't know the colors of our hairs. But you know the colors of my hair. You know if you see me in the street, my name, you know who I am, and I you. 
That is the soma. That is the carnal, the natural, the nature, the flesh. That is that part by which we recognize one another. And these disciples early in the morning go to the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ and they find his body, soma, that by which they recognize him is no longer there. We're told that these two men in shining garments are there and as the disciples fall with their faces to the ground, they are asked a question by these two men. Why seek ye the living among the dead. Now I finished here this morning. And this is what I told those who were present this morning. The Greek New Testament has it. They say unto them. Why seek ye the living one among the dead? In other words there's only one. They said who came to this tomb. There's only one who led in this tomb. There's only one who was wrapped in clothes, clothed and led in this tomb. There's only one who was sealed in this tomb. There's only one who was guarded in this tomb. And there's only one who has risen from this tomb and was resurrected from the dead. It says, why seek ye that living one? The one who gives life unto all the world. The one who brought life to the hearts and the lives of many in Israel. The one who brought life to all in whom he encountered. The one who healed the sick and raised the dead. It says that same one. He is risen. He is no longer here. We want to look at this. And we want to bring out a conclusion to the matter. Did our Lord Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? These disciples as we're told in verse 7. It says, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered, he told them, into the hands of sinful men. Notice this. The Son of Man, the pure, spotless Lamb of God. The Son of Man, the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. In other words, that human being of flesh and blood. That man, Christ Jesus, was handed into the hands of sinful men. Notice the difference between Christ and all other men. Notice the difference in his state and all men outside of Christ. They are sinful men, but he is the one and only son of the living God. He alone is God wrapped in flesh and manifested onto the world. That the son of man would be delivered into the hands of men and be crucified. Notice, on the third day, rise again. The third day, he would rise again. Here these disciples on the third day arrive at the tomb. They could not find the body that which they recognized Christ through and by. And they said, where is our Lord? Dr. Greenleaf. That's a real name by the way. Dr. Greenleaf was the royal professor of law at Harvard University. And he was known as one of the greatest legal minds that ever lived. That was a title people gave this professor. He believed the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax. And so he determined in himself once and for all to expose the myth of the resurrection of Jesus. But after thoroughly examining the evidence of the resurrection... Dr. Greenleaf came to the exact opposite conclusion. 
he wrote a book entitled An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice. Now that's a long title for any book, isn't it? Let me tell you it again, just in case you want to look it up. An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice. He emphatically stated in page 29, It was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated, had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. He came to the conclusion as he went, as though he was a student or a doctor or a professor of law, what would it be the case of it when we look against the resurrection of Christ? He found the opposite. He found that there was a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and he believed it with all of his heart. Listen to this. He also concluded that according to the jurisdiction of legal evidence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the best supported event in all of history. That's what this professor said. And in fact, so deep did he try to discover against the resurrection of Jesus. So much did he look into this. This man came out with a different view that the resurrection was true. And that man got saved. He was born again for he realized Jesus was alive. Now that is a professor at law. Here's the thing. The truth of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of it, what does it mean? What use is it? Does it really matter? I would say to you, and I would affirm to you, absolutely yes, it does matter. The truth of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it matters because it's life-changing. Because it strengthens our faith. And our hope, the Christian's hope, is entirely and completely for salvation in Christ. Yet for the hope of every Christian is the day of resurrection from the dead. That is the Christian's hope. When our full salvation, our whole redemption, will be in our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Here we have the bodily resurrection changes life. It's life-changing and it's life-giving. It transforms men and women for the preaching of the gospel and living for him. And it is the hope of glory of every blood-washed, redeemed saint. The case of the resurrection starts with a look at 11 disciples. Want to look at them for a moment for it is in their accounts in their lives where we start. The case of the the 11 disciples, the one whom they followed, the one whom they trusted in, the one who they hoped in, the one who they ate with and watched, the one whom they received great promises from, the precious things of God, that one that they fully trusted and believed, they saw him bleed and die on a cross and laid on a tomb. Three days has passed and there's still no sign coming to the third day. Where is he? But this one we hoped should redeem Israel, the two on the road to a mess said. 
But this is the one whom we trusted in. And Jesus has failed us. Jesus has died and laid in the tomb. Jesus has let us down. Let's look at these, these disciples. They saw him die an agonizing death. He was mocked and he was ridiculed and he was scorned. He was spat upon and beaten. He was laughed at. He was whipped. And as he hung bleeding and dying, he was branded a blasphemer. He was sentenced not only to death on a cross, but he was numbered with the transgressors. He became a curse for you and a curse for me. He took your sin and bore your sin in his own body on the tree. He took my sin, all that I would ever commit and have committed, and he bore it all in his body, that by which we recognize him by. That flesh and blood and bone body, Christ bore it in himself. And he became a curse for all of us. Galatians 3 and 13 says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Oh, there was an old sinner that was a transgressor. That old thief, he deserved to be there. And there was another one on his other side. He deserved to be there. And there was Jesus in the middle who knew no sin. But he took my sin. And where you deserve to be, and where I deserve to be, he was our great substitute. And he died in our room and in our stead. He became a curse. Friend, outside of Christ, you who are not saved, you are cursed. When you come to Christ, you realize he bore your curse and you're free in Christ and forgiven. He died a curse. He died a criminal. He died in an open shame. He died a disgrace. In the eyes of the world, Jesus was a total disgrace. Imagine him as a savior. We expect a a knight in shining armor. We expect someone to come in a great state. We expect flashes of lightning in the heavens to roll back and and Jesus to come the first time that when he comes he would say, move out of the side to see who's good and who's bad, who's right and who's wrong, friend. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned and we have missed the mark. People say, well, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good man, friend. The Bible says there is none good. No, not one. None of us are good. No, not one. Here he becomes a curse for us. He takes my penalty and yours. And he dies in our place. Eleven defeated, dejected, disillusioned disciples were told in Mark 14 15 when he was arrested and they all forsook him and fled. I love you, Lord. Oh, I love Jesus. So do I. I love him. But see, when it comes to it, they fled. 
I ask you something. How easy is it for you to say, I love him? And then when duty calls, you like to flee. It's not for me. For someone else. The same night, Peter, who says, I will die for you, and I'll go on to prison for you. The same night, Peter denies him thrice, and the cock crows. This is what these 11 disciples were like. Jesus dies and is taken and put in a tomb. But less than two months later, listen, less than two months later, about six or seven weeks later, these defeated, dejected, despised, disillusioned disciples entered into Jerusalem boldly preaching at the threat of death and boldly preaching a new and a living and a loving and a bold message unto the whole city. Jesus is alive, they preached. They preached Christ unto them. Why did they preach Jesus is alive? Because as the hymn writer said, they saw him up from the grave, he arose. With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose the victor from a dark domain, and he lives forever with his sins to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Peter preaches a risen Savior in the day of Pentecost, for he's seen a risen Savior and was filled with the Holy Ghost. And here also in Acts chapter 4, when they're asked, stop speaking in this name. This one who was laid in the tomb, sure he's dead, he's gone. These men had seen him risen. In Acts 4 and 20, they says, we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. Friend, see if you're really saved and you by faith have seen him and you have experienced him and you have heard his word and you have his word living and moving inside of you. You cannot but speak of him for he lives in you. I want to look briefly at what I would call the four witches of 1 John 1 1. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Listen to what John says in this verse. This verse is a proof text. Of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to get a little the- theological. And please forgive me. But stay with me. It's important. I'll keep it as simple as I can. This verse is a proof text of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Notice the four witches. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. The four witches of 1 John 1 and 1. See the, the, the term here, that witch, you know what it means? John is speaking and he's saying, see those things which are relating, or see those things which are concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means. So that which was from the beginning, those things concerning him, our Lord, who was from the beginning, which we have heard, our Lord concerning him, we have heard him. We have seen him. Here we have, John gives us a proof text of the resurrection. Let me break this down. I did this one time for Bible study, but it's good to have it into you. I'll break it down as simply as I can. That which was from the beginning. When John writes his gospel, now not the letter here, his gospel. In John chapter 1, verses 1 2 and 3. He says, notice, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And notice what he says here, in the beginning. Notice, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh in verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us in John 1 and 14. But John here, he seems to point our Lord as if John is standing on the edge of a creation. When the earth was made, when the heavens were formed, John goes as if he is in the Spirit and he stands at the edge of creation with all time and eternity behind him and or a time behind him and he looks out to eternity and he says, here is the beginning of all things but out there, our Lord Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. He is the Ancient of Days. That's what he's saying here. Forget our planet and the solar systems and all that we know and don't know. He says way beyond that was our Lord Jesus. He is the God of all creation. And without him was not anything made that was made. He is the great eternal spirit. John is standing in the beginning and he's looking into eternity as the word, the logos, the concept, the, that which is picked out of the mind. In other words, he is the mind of God. And this word who framed the world was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and John, 1 John 1 and 1, it says, that which was from the beginning. That's different. That's different. Try and stay with me on this. This is important. When John says in his gospel, he's looking into eternity and all creation's behind. We're the beginning, from the beginning line of creation. He's looking away into eternity. He says, you were there, Lord. That is you. 
But when he says, that which was in the beginning, he says, concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, from creation, right through our very existence. He says, before Adam fell in the garden, before Adam was formed, before there were any animals on the earth, before the grass and the trees came forth, before the very seas were formed and the mountains were formed. He says, before the word even was spoken into space. He says, God was there, but he didn't let us be on our own. When Christ came, God spoke to the prophets and he called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the same God came and he held back the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites. And he caused the walls to fall at Jericho for Joshua. And he caused Gideon to have victory with a lamp and a shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And he says, it is the same Lord Jesus Christ. And he has never left us or let us alone. He says, and this same one was born in Bethlehem of a virgin. Here he points, and John's gospel points to Christ's deity, but here he points in his letter concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, which was from the beginning, he points to his humanity. He says he's God, very God. And he's man, a very man. He took not upon him the nature of the angels, but of the seed of Abraham. From the beginning, John looks back. And then John looks forward and shows us the divinity, the deity, and the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen. Notice, which we have seen. Which we have seen with our eyes, he says. The idea here is John is maintaining the real humanity of Christ as a proof and as an assertion of the Gnostics and the Docetic Gnostics and the Serinthian Gnostics. What on earth is that? Right, here we go. The Gnostics believed that all material was essentially evil. And they, they were right to a point for every one of us and the depravity of human nature, there's not one of us can save ourselves. There's not one of us could raise ourselves to kingdom glory. There's not one of us of our own selves could make one iota to our salvation. They were right in the sense that our flesh will corrode and corrupt and go to the grave. But they were saying, since they believed this, Jesus could not have been a real man. In other words, he was some kind of trickster, or some kind of superhuman, some kind of spiritual being. The docetic Gnostics, the word docetic means to seem, to seem. In other words, they were saying, it only seemed like Jesus walked on earth. It only seemed like he was God. It only seemed that he died on a cross. It only seemed that he went to the tomb. And it only seemed like he rose again. It only seemed like that. And John is writing this to prove an important point to you and I. Listen to what John says. That which was from the beginning, Almighty God. 
right through history, time, right through Bethlehem, right through the cross, into the tomb, risen from the dead. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen. John is saying here, I have seen him. And it means to see and to know what you're looking at. Many a times I, I can see things, but I don't know what I'm looking at. I could lift the car bonnet for you to, you say I'm broken down, and I could lift it up and see an engine, but I don't know what I'm looking at. The idea is here, John says, I, John, I was called. I was the youngest of the disciples. I was called at the beach and left my father and the fishing nets for Jesus. And I, John, followed him. And my gospel, I call myself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I, John, was the one who was up the mountain seeing him transfigured before my eyes. And I, John, was the one who heard him sermon on the mount. And I, John, followed him everywhere he went. And I, John, was the one who was at the, the, the breaking of bread and the instituting of the Lord's Supper, who leant against the breast of Jesus. I, John, heard the heartbeat of God. He says, I, John, heard him. I walked with him. I slept where he slept. I went to the garden of Gethsemane with him. I have sang with him and praised with him. I have heard him and talked with him and he with me. He says, I, John, was the one who followed him and stood at the foot of the old rugged cross and was entrusted unto me to look after his mother. John says, I know what I'm looking at. I know what I see, he says. In other words, John saying, Oh, you'll not fool me and pull the wool over my eyes. I've seen Christ and I've seen him alive, he says. By the way, don't you listen to these Gnostics, he says. Don't listen to these Cerinthian Gnostics who says Jesus only became a man and he was a man and he only became God at his baptism and then the Spirit left him again. He says, Don't you listen to that nonsense? He's God from the beginning and he's God to the ending. And I seen him and I know what I'm looking at, he says. John says that which we have seen with our eyes which we have heard. The idea here we have heard. John says, I heard him. And the idea is his words are still ringing in my ears. That's the idea. I heard him and his words are still ringing in my ears. What did John hear him say last? He says, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my father. John was there, the baptism of the Spirit of God in the upper room. John says his words are in my ears, ringing in my ears. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. The idea here is John saw, fully understood, and it was clear and present. The word is horeo, and it means John is saying, see what I've seen with my eyes. I understood it. I know it's him. I have seen him. In fact, he says, right before my face is the Lord Jesus every single day. 
says, which we have looked upon. I want you to catch this as we round this bit up for you. He says, we have heard him, we have seen him, and we have looked upon him. What's the difference between seeing him and looking upon him? Seeing someone, looking upon someone. The word threomai means looked upon. And it's where you and I get our English word theater. Now, if you were to go to a theater and you're sitting in the balcony and you're in a good seat and you can see all of the actors, the actor will come in from the left and from the right and they'll do this and that and they'll speak and they'll, you'll get involved. Then suddenly you realize all around you seems to have faded away and disappeared and you're totally drawn and sucked into the whole theatrical performance. In other words, you have tunnel vision on what is going on in the theater. And that's the idea that John is saying here. We have seen him, but I have looked upon him and I know what I saw. And our hands have handled of the word of life, fourthly says. See the word here, to handle, it's the word, if I can pronounce it, slephetheo, handle the word of life. It gives the idea to handle with a view to investigation. To handle with a view to investigation. Just in case my eyes were playing tricks, yet I knew what I was looking at. But just in case, as I studied him and looked at him, that my eyes still played tricks and others tried to trick my mind, he says, I went and I handled him. And I investigated him. My friends, Here's the thing. You may have someone who can do sleight of hand and trick you with many things. But when something's in your hands, you you get the sense of it, the weight of it, the density of it, the feeling of it, the harder, the softness of it. You know, you get the volume of it. You understand it better. And you get it into your fibers of your being. John says, I handled him with a view to investigate. It's like when we have the disciples in Luke 24 in that room for fear of the Jews and Jesus enters into the room and when Jesus comes into the room he's, they're all afraid, they think they've seen a ghost and, and they're all shouting out for fear and Jesus stands and he, and he tells them not to be afraid. Then he says, handle me and see for yourself that a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. It's a spirit. It's a, he's raised just spiritually. He says, handle me, feed me. Touch me. Examine me. They examined him. Risen from the dead. Spear had went through to his lungs and his stomach and his heart. And he stands before them. And he says, handle me and see. For a spirit of not flesh and bone as you see me have. And John says, which we have handled. The word of life. I want to wrap this up. Thank you for your attention. This isn't exhaustive in the sense that there's no more we could bring. There's so much more we could bring. But the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is life-changing. His resurrection changed those in that room. His resurrection changed the lives of the two 
And the road to Emmaus, it changed the life of Thomas as he later seen him. Changed the life of Saul who persecuted the church and seen the risen Lord and became known as Paul and one of the great witnesses for Christ. These disciples died for their faith and for the cause, the crown and the covenant of Christ. Here's what I want you to think of. If he wasn't resurrected, if you didn't see him alive, if he wasn't who he said he was and didn't do what he claimed he would do, if he didn't stand before you and say, handle me and see, if you were so unsure, is there a cause for you to die for it? Would you die for a cause that has no right, nor hope, nor need at the end? Would these men give their lives if they hadn't have seen Christ? What is the gain of it all? They died because they saw him risen from the dead. So what if Christ is not resurrected? If Christ is not resurrected, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19, you can read it when you go home. It says, if Christ is not resurrected, let me tell you what's wrong. All of our preaching is in vain. If Christ is not resurrected, our faith is in vain and we are false witnesses. If Christ is not resurrected, ye are yet in your sins, Paul says. And if Christ is not resurrected, they which are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Or died in Christ. Those Christians who have died. Turn with me. 1 Corinthians 15. As we come to a conclusion and wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Your attention has been tremendous. I really do appreciate it. And let your eye run down for time's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I look at this, he says. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. The word is we shall not all die. There will be people alive at the return of Christ. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is, all the believers in Christ, the redeemed saints, we shall all be changed in a moment. Now listen, we're not caught away in a secret rapture in a moment. It doesn't say that. It says we shall all be changed in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, you won't rise from the dead. And neither will your loved ones who have died in Christ. But Christ is risen from the dead. And we will rise on that day to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord.
I personally believe will come back to earth and rule and reign with him. Last scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 13. Verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Again, concerning them which have died as Christians, saved, born again, those who are redeemed saints. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You know something? My mommy died and she was saved. And it near killed me. But you know my hope in it is she's going to rise from the dead and I'm going to see her again. It's the hope. You sorrow not at others, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, not the Lord as well of the wisp, not the Lord as an invisible ghost, the Lord himself will come. Not as an angel, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. In other words, there's going to be a great and wonderful day, but a terrible day when the skies will roll back like a scroll and the heavens will be filled with myriads and myriads of angels and Christ will be centered in the midst of them and catches away to meet him in the air. You'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. No more headaches and heartaches. No more tears and suffering. No more sicknesses and illnesses. We will be changed to be like him. And the graves, those who have died in Christ will rise. And then we will. Not too much secret about a trumpet and shouts and graves opening up. Sure there's not. Hey, I'd be watching that and going, my goodness, look at this. Next thing, I'm away myself. Praise God. Are you going to go? Will you be there? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what the comfort is? The hope of the resurrection. I trust you're saved tonight. For if you're not saved, there's another resurrection. And it's the ungodly resurrection. And then there's a lake of fire. My hope is the return of Christ. And the great resurrection day. May God bless his word tonight. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Absolutely yes. Jesus is alive. After the power of an endless life.